Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright, Mark Antony Rossi. In this, our second year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. This is your host, Mark Anthony Rossi, poet, playwright, host of this show. Uh, looks like my voice is back. Uh, thank God. I, I tell you, you um, never want to take things for granted. I, and, you know, I say that a lot because this is probably like the third, I don't know, maybe fourth time this year I've lost it for one reason or another. It's not long, but, you know, it's always a, an aggravation when it happens. And I do whatever I can to prevent that, but... It's just amazing how important it is uh, for so many things that I like to do, especially the show. So um, I'm, I'm always grateful when it returns. Uh, this is going to be episode 151. Uh, it's entitled Identity, Integrity, and Creative Cohesion in the Arts. I know it's a pretty big title. I like doing that sometimes. Um, in many ways, I'm revisiting another identity show I've done in the, in the, in the past, about a year ago. But we've gone a lot more further this time about it as I've gotten more more experience and thought more about the subject matter. And, and also I've had some more conversations with other people about this subject. And I've just come across a number of things that I said, let me just put this out there as well so that we can try to understand more about how it is integral to who we are as people and, and ultimately who we are as artists. And that's one of the things I try to do with the show more than anything else is not just talk about the arts in a mechanical way or even in in some kind of a spiritual way but also in in a realistic way about well the things that could could help or or, or could harm us in in our daily lives that they have an effect on maybe how we write or what we write or even how we approach writing sometimes whether we want to stay you know as writers or not or whether you know we need a long vacation from it which you know I've known some folks to do as well Sometimes never coming back. Um, so I figured we'll talk about this. I, I know uh, in, in the day and age we live, right, things seem like it's all compressed and all flying at you and maybe even a, a, a bit confusing. But I, I find out, and you'll, you'll notice as I go through the show, that there really isn't as much confusion as people say that there is. So we'll try to... You know, put down some lines here and, and make some, some real clear definitions. Because like everything I talk about this show, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse over here, but you'll find that some of the values that I have as a person are the same ones I have as a writer. And I want you to share a lot of those because you'll find out that you'll become not only a better writer, but a more productive writer when you learn some of the basic concepts that I talk about on the show a lot, which is responsibility and which is about choice so those are the two things that we have to always tackle in our lives and oftentimes you'll find that people for whatever reason uh, they like to avoid those things and, and come up with excuses and come up with dodges and distractions and ideologies and you know all kinds of things that don't allow them to tackle something directly and because of that 
it winds up compounding your problems. It doesn't help you, you know, if you dodge away from something. In, in many ways, it's no different than the bully that's looking for you. Yeah, you might get away from this time because you duck behind a garbage can. Or, you you know, you hit it by a crowd of kids or something. Or, you, you know, you run in an alley someplace and, and, and got in some dark doorway. Sure, temporarily, you might be able to do so. But the bully's still out there. The bully's still looking for you. And the bully's still going to beat you up unless you figure out something to do about that bully. Because avoiding it, like any other kind of problem in our life, it doesn't really help matters. If it's if it's some kind of strategic plan because you need to get together your plan on how to defend yourself or how to go about eliminating this this bully, well, that's one thing. Some kind of strategic pause in, until you do something about your situation. But if it's just about the usual running away, denying, uh, believing it's going to go away, believing it's going to change its mind, all these silly things, well, that's just literally living in denial. That's just simply bad faith on your part. It's not taking the appropriate action. And like anything, you're only making your situation worse. You know, you tackle the cancer before it's too late. Providing, you know, the will of God, you caught it early enough. It's like anything else. You got to tackle things sooner, not later. And I think this is a problem with too many creative people. I don't care if you're a writer or, or a damn sculptor. Um, sooner is always better than later. Later is more times a problem or even a, a compound or a problem or maybe possibly two problems now because waiting often doesn't do you anything uh, good unless you already had some kind of plan you know, to combat what you're doing and most people don't. And why do they delay? And, and why do they deny? Uh, mostly out of fear. That's usually it. And, and fear will tell you all kinds of dumb things to keep fear going. That's what fear does. It's so afraid it doesn't know how to think straight because fear can't think straight. Reason can think straight. Planning can think straight. Even just calming yourself down for a moment, you might be able to think straight and come up with something. But fear? No. As long as that is in control, there's nothing else is but that. And you go nowhere with it. I was talking just to a writer the other day, and that was one of the one of the things that they had mentioned to me that they they had uh, discovered in their own lives was, and I don't mean just in the writing life; I mean any part of the person's life is is that more times than not, uh, a lot of the problems they had had, a lot of the delays they dealt with, a lot of the the issues that became thornier. Yeah, that's right. That is a word, thornier. Be, was caused because they allowed fear to get. The best of them. Now, I'm not telling you that there is a way to eliminate fear from your life uh, forever. Because there isn't. Okay? But there are ways to put it to the side. To tell fear, I'm going to go and do this. I know you're still there, but stay there. But I'm still doing this. That's what courage is. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is living with the fear and still doing what you have to do that's necessary. Maybe after it's done, you, the fear comes back. That's not a bad deal. Because in the end, for you to get what you have to get done, you have to control fear so that you can get the project done. Okay, later on, when you're not doing the project anymore, maybe it's not such a big deal fear comes back. Or maybe when fear comes back, it's not as strong as it was before and you're laughing at it. Ha! You didn't stop me. Come back and do something, whatever. I'm going to go have a drink now. I'm going to go have a Coke now. I'm going to go eat some candy right now. 
That's usually what I do. But that's the point of fear is the moment you acknowledge it, it already starts losing some strength because it's like, oh my God, he sees me now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with lots of people is they like to pretend that fear is not there and they just let it take over. You can put it to the side. You're not like pretending it's not there. You're just saying, I am not going to give you the focus. I'm going to give this the focus. Whether that's the marriage or the children or the job or the writing or whatever that is. I'm going to give that the focus. You ever hear people in combat before in the military? Those that have been guilty of, of being courageous in, in, in battle will always tell you the same thing. I was scared to death, but I knew I had to get something done, so I just got that thing out of the way long enough for me to get the job done. And then later on, I threw up and, you know, I couldn't sleep for three nights. There you go. That was all that was necessary is to make sure that it didn't have total domination over you. Now, what does all this have to do with identity? Well, pretty much everything, because... I find with people, not just in terms of the way they deal with themselves and they deal with others and even how they might define themselves, I find that a lot of that is integral to their writing, to possibly their persona of writing, possibly even the direction they go to. Even the strength of how good they are as a writer can come from how defined that they might have gotten themselves and who they are. Your identity is, is critical. And we often live in an age right now where people try to make it a confusing thing. Often they like the fact that division is out there. And people actually try to even cause more division. And why is that? Well, guess what? I don't need to give you any kind of a pat answer. The truth is really simple. The more people are divided, and I don't mean just politically or religiously, I mean even within your identity, the more those things happen, well, guess what? The less control you have and the more control the other person might have who's causing this division or the other group that's thrown out out there because that's what happens. Control is always going to be out there, folks. It's just a question of whether you want it for yourself or you want to give it away to somebody. It doesn't vanish. Nobody all is out of control. Somebody and something is always in control. You just need to be able to choose what you want to do, what you do. One of the things you'll find, and I used to work in politics, so one of the first things I used to always educate and even prompt my candidates was, is first we need to know everything that's going on about you, everything that's happened, because you don't want people putting out stuff out of the blue and you haven't prepared us or even prepared yourself from it. Meaning, don't come out with some secrets. Let us know now. And the second thing is to make sure that you get out. Whether that's a secret that now you need to get out to get it over with. Or just make sure you're getting out your image. And your definition of who you are. Because if you haven't defined yourself as a candidate. Which, believe it or not, is no different than if you defined yourself as a job applicant in an interview or as a writer, this is how I define myself. I'm a poet today. Same thing. If you don't, well, guess what? Somebody else might just do so. 
and they might not always have your interests in heart. Don't get me wrong. There's going to be other people that might define you that are not malicious, that are not mean-spirited. But they still didn't find you wrong. And why are they doing that? Because you haven't told them anything. You haven't even made up your mind about who the heck you are. And now they're supposed to know? You don't even friggin' know. That's the problem. That's why identity is so important and why we're going to talk about it so much on this particular episode and break it down a little bit more further than we've done in the past. Because in the past show, I talked more about the identity of how it was uh, transferred through and talked about in writing, like uh, a, a perfect example would be Philip K. Dick. He wrote almost exclusively about identity. And I'm not saying he's the only writer out there. I'm just saying he's a classic example of that. Nearly everything he wrote about had to do with something about identity. You'll see from his story that turned into the movie uh, Blade Runner, it's about the uh, identity of who is going to call themselves a sentient being. Are you sentient because you're a robot and you sweat and you got some blood in you, but uh, you really can't reproduce and, and nobody really believes you have a soul, so are you sentient? Do you have a right to continue to exist? When you're saying, hell no, I don't want to die, I want to stay alive, and the government's saying, no, I have to get rid of you because you are not human. Is this discrimination? Is this some new form of techno-racism? But that was about identity. What was more valid? Did you have a right to call yourself a human when you wasn't? Do you have a right to even call yourself if you're a human, if you are a human, but you're not acting humanely? Are you a human then? Incredible amount of questions about identity. Uh, another uh, perfect example would be Total Recall, where literally uh, somebody had their identity purposely changed so they can commit certain acts of crimes and then go back to somebody else so they can literally say, hey, I didn't do that. Because guess what? At that point, they are telling you the truth. I did not commit these crimes. Another personality did, but they didn't know that. And I'm not talking about, you know, Sybil and 15 different personalities. I'm talking about somebody doing this on a willful, artificial basis in order to commit a crime, in order to cons con do a conspiracy, in order to have a, literally an interplanetary crisis through assassination and, and uh, identity and manipulation. Again, Who's telling the truth on something like that? Because guess what? It all comes down to identity. It's the foundation of everything. If you don't have identity down, then are you lying to me? Are you lying to yourself? Are you lying to God in the universe? Is there even a God because you don't even know your own identity? Am I an evolved creature? Am I a created uh, blessing? Who am I? And therefore... How can you tell me anything about the world when you don't even know who you are? How do I take you seriously when you haven't even taken yourself seriously? You can see how these questions, they can go on and on and on. And not just in some rhetorical fashion so that I sound cool on, on, on a radio show here. I mean, these are serious questions that when you have defined yourself, when you have chosen an identity... You don't have to answer these questions anymore or at least you have some suitable answers so that you can now go forward. Because quite frankly, there's nothing more boring to asking a question about identity when you like to be talking about, you know, uh, whether you can find a cure to a disease in a tropical forest that, that might be mowed down by some mining company one day. 
That sounds a hell of a more, more question on whether I believe if I'm an American or if I'm an Italian. Do I believe if I'm straight or do I believe I'm gay? Do I believe I'm Catholic or do I believe I'm Protestant? And what's going on with those, with those Jewish people? Do I understand half of what's going on with them? These are all valid, important questions, but you're not going to get to any of those sort of things if you don't really have an understanding about who you are. Now, we'll have some, some segments of the show. I want to talk about... I'm not going to make them formal. I mean, there might be like on on the writing part of the show when you, when you look at the description of the of the actual episode, but it's more about cultural and race and religion. We got some sexuality, a couple of things about uh, transgender, definitely some things about disability and mental health because those are really important too. I, I remember somebody saying, and it's it's a valid question. It's not some devil's advocate kind of thing. Well, how the hell can Philip K. Dick tell me about identity? When I don't even know for sure, he was sure about his identity. The guy had mental illnesses. He was literally talking to himself half the times. He's writing novels, throwing stuff away, writing it again. Tell me this guy was not out of control. So how the hell is anything he's saying valid that I could use? It's not an invalid question. It's actually a pretty proper way of looking at it. Well, it's like anything else. Mental health or problems or not stability problems or not, even if he hasn't completely defined who Philip K. Dick was, he still had the identity of, I'm a writer and I'm going to talk about these issues. Well, guess what? That was his identity. Maybe it's not enough answer for you to make you satisfied that he couldn't figure out all the rest of it. Sorry, he was mentally ill. But he got that. That was enough for him to get those novels done. That was enough for him to get some cohesive answers out there about what he thought about some of his theories, about how these could be problems in society or in the world, how in, in the future identity could be more of a crisis than we ever realized. And if you think about it, now you, you, you can't even listen to a radio show without someone trying to pitch you some, some computer program about identity theft. Stop identity theft. I mean, he was talking about that 40 years ago. We're talking about that now, okay? And this is the guy that was supposed to be loony, uh, maybe he wasn't that loony, okay? Or maybe his mental illness was confined to his personal well-being and maybe not his creative well-being because he seemed to have gotten a lot of things right. And we'll talk about that later. But the key thing here is he formed enough of an identity. I'm a writer. I'm going to talk about these issues. Maybe that's all that poor fellow was able to put together in his life. Because he was a terribly tormented guy and a, a deeply unhappy person. But he did achieve a lot because of that. And he's well known now because of this. His issues, they don't go away just because he had a psychotic break. He's brought valid issues out there. Does this mean that only somebody with mental health issues can talk about things of, of this nature? No, it doesn't. Lots of people have done it. They don't have mental issue problems. But... He's one of the first ones to really put it in a, in, a, in a novel in such a way that it's right in our face that we can't avoid. That it makes us have to question after we read his book. What do I feel about that? Because he's bringing that to our attention. Because there's a point for that. It really is important going forward. How do you put together a family if folks don't know who their identity are? How do you understand about the past if... And, and try to plan the present or the future if you don't understand about identity. So 
He's definitely right about these. One of the one of the perfect examples, and I, I hear about this a lot. You know, I interview people, I talk to people all the time. Hell, even when I'm talking to people, in many ways, I'm I'm kind of interviewing because I'm always curious about how other people got to writing or the things they tackle and everything. And sometimes what I hear from people is that they have either started writing early in their lives because of some kind of rough childhood or maybe um, childhood traumatic event or something. And how they got through that is so important about the kind of identity they later formed. And remember, when I'm talking about you forming an identity, it's not the Disney World definition of that. You might form an identity that sucks. <laughs> you might have to change that later in your life if you're going to be successful with people or have a healthy relationship or anything else. I mean, that's a possibility that you could form an identity that's just crap. So, I mean, an identity is important, but obviously you want to have something that's going to be productive and useful. That's not always going to be the case. And that's what you're going to learn on the show, sadly enough. All right. Um, well, they had mentioned to me that, just like I just said to you, that they formed an identity and it was an identity more of of being uh, more suspicious of people, a, a bit of paranoid about people, and, and and of course very very sheltered from things because they felt that um, they didn't have the you know the best of of chelogenic looks, and they didn't really feel the most uh, socially acceptable, or, or maybe they felt socially awkward, and all of those played into them forming an identity that was you know more of a you know that that trench coat kind of person over there that seems dark and mysterious and. You know, you don't know what they're about. And for a while, that was their identity. They did some writing. They tried to uh, learn more about uh, their craft. And and later on, as they grew up, uh, they started giving away more of that to having more of an identity that allowed them to cross over the aisle to talk to other people, to bridge over things so that they can have better communication. But it was a process for them. But it was a process they continued to go through as they tried to allow more people in their lives. Because guess what? If you do that more, some of your ideas about uh, insecurity or um, confusion or suspicion or paranoia or just simply distrust, some of that goes away. I don't know. That doesn't mean all goes away, but it, it fades enough that you can start realizing, well, yeah, I guess everybody's not like that. I guess not everybody out to get me. Because I've always reminded people when I've talked to them, is sometimes when folks have this sort of condition where they simply become distrustful and paranoid to that extent, uh, it really is, in the primary sense, a defense mechanism. And I understand that. And and to a certain extent, I accept that. But you'll learn, like anything else, you can abuse things. Because things, whether it be a bulletproof vest Okay, or or it would be anger and paranoia to defend yourself from bad people or something. They can't go on forever. Anything that you use too long is an abuse, and it becomes corrosive. It becomes dangerous after a while. You know, you can't wear a bulletproof vest all day long. Ask anybody who's ever worn anyone for a while. Okay, it becomes stifling. It becomes uncomfortable. Yeah, you might even you might even ruin it in, in, in certain instances. It's not a good idea. It's it's war for temporary for a purpose, and then you take it off. 
it's no different with that. But if you have it on too long, well, it, it, it changes you. Because again, you abuse things. If you do something for too long, you abuse it and then it harms you. And that was what he was telling me. He was mentioning to me that he had realized that. He realized that there was a point in his life where he couldn't even remember anybody's name anymore because he just had that few people around him. He had pushed them all away, scared them all away, cursed them all away, whatever you want to call it. And it was then that he knew, and thankfully he didn't harm himself, and thankfully he didn't do anything like drugs or alcohol that would do the same thing. Thankfully it was just uh, just like a bottom that dropped and he just became like incredibly aware. Wow, this is now how I want to go forward, so therefore I need to do something about my situation. And that's when he started changing slowly but surely into the person he became now. You'd never know that person existed. But he able to use a lot of those experiences, at least in his writings, as a way to, you know, imbue characters and, and, and you know, and those, to teach other people about how that can go too far. So, in many ways, identity, even when it's unhealthy, it can be useful, but you need to also, like anything else, weigh it to whatever you're living with right now. I mean, it's fair to say that your identity at 15 it's going to be different than your identity at 25. So if someone says anything about, wow, that's pretty similar to the guy who was 15, maybe they're referring to the values you have or something. But in terms of your identity, you have changed and you'll be somebody different. There's a good chance, you know, 10 years after that, you might actually be married or in a relationship. And again, you'll have a different identity. So oftentimes our identity in certain ways has certain alterations to it. It doesn't mean they're radical changes, but there are still changes. People do change. They just don't change oftentimes in the nature of values and character so so often. I've known people all my life that they're pretty much the same kind of people they, they were when I grew up. That's who they are. Nothing wrong with that. But then there was nothing wrong with the other character in the begin with. So that's great. Imagine someone that wasn't. I'm like, whew, don't want to meet those people. Especially since I had to beat up half of them. Because they were bullies. I hope they're better people now. But I really wouldn't know. I certainly didn't want to keep touch with somebody that was a you know, habitual jerk. Then I met a few people. And this is a recurring theme by the way. I met a few people that have told me that. And they didn't recognize this. I did it though. Sometimes there are enough uh, of people that you can broach it to them, and other times it's obvious they're oblivious to it, and you, you can't do anything. They're probably just going to tell you to drop dead and, you know, stop the chat or block you or hang up or whatever the hell people do these days uh, to run away from something rather than confront it. But I've had a number of people that they have had either um, a biracial or even a, a bi-religious experience that wasn't very favorable to them. And instead of them feeling that there was a way for them to navigate through it, oftentimes they let it harm them or they let other people around them harm them. And because they've done something like that, it, it, it winds up causing many fishes inside their own psychic and even the, the way they approach the world. You know, it makes them in many instances more sensitive than they need to be and therefore more prone to... Uh, to depression and, and migraines and a lot of things that come with that. 
it's it stems from this sort of thing, where you have folks that, and, and a more classic one, I, more religious than it is, is biracial. You'll find the lots of people that you talk to that haven't formed their identity yet and they're comfortable with it and going forward, you know, they kept felt that they were being tossed around or that they had folks around them that wanted them to make a decision. Are you black or are you white? Are you Spanish or are you black? Are you black or are you, you know, Asian? Whatever the mixture is supposed to have been because there's all kinds. And as you can probably imagine, the people around them are incredibly I, I feel amoral to even suggest such a thing because the moment you even listen to that kind of a garbage, you, you're axing yourself and being axed by some idiot. Uh, you have to choose between your mother and your father. Who the hell should ever have to make some kind of choice in this age or in the age before us? It's ridiculous beyond belief. But it happens to people and they let that get into their head and they let that corrode their soul and then what happens when they become older is you get these people, it's the classic cliche, and I don't mind using it, that they have the chip on their shoulder, and you wonder why. Now, I don't tell you this for you to have some excuse for their behavior, because I'm telling you right now, no matter what happens to you, bad behavior is bad behavior. You know? I don't care who you are. You know, I got beaten by my father, and everybody's racist to me, so I'm going to curse you out, Mark, and treat you like garbage. Uh, no, you're not. Sorry all that stuff happened to you, but uh, I didn't do any of that. So, no, you won't be doing that. And you'll either figure out a way to approach me correctly or you're just going to have to go someplace else because I will never put up with that kind of stuff. I'm not someone that's going to fall for somebody's backstory and now I'm going to forgive everything. Nobody should do that. You should never have been treated that way. God knows I'm not going to treat you that way. God knows I preach against you. You being treated that way, but it doesn't give you any permission to be poor to anyone else. It simply doesn't. But those people are hurting. And that situation for them is real. They have yet to make any real choices. If there's even any choices supposedly to make. Because what are the choices supposed to make? Uh, yeah, I'm black on Monday and um, uh, on Wednesday I'll be white, okay? It's, it's ridiculous. No one should choose between their parents. No one should choose between cultures. I'm not that political about this sort of thing, but it may be the fairest and the smartest thing is simply to be both and learn about both and, and learn to be both. Hey, I'm both. Okay, I'm biracial, all right? That's right. I'm Chinese and Puerto Rican. Okay, that's right. There's some commonalities because we both like rice, but then there's some other things that, you know, hey, I've had to learn about. That's who I am. All right? All right, now, let's go watch uh, an episode of MacGyver. I know it makes it sound simple. I know I, I don't mean to, you know, gloss over it because I'm not. Uh, but just in terms of the humor, you could see how, in the end, that might be the very best choice. Because your parents came together in love to create you. Why not honor both of them? By honoring both of the cultures. And if you have friends around you that can't handle that. Well. You might have to get some new friends. And if you have a society that can't deal with that. Well guess what. You're going to have to do whatever you can to make sure that they're going to understand that you're not going away. 
Maybe one day they'll realize it. But you can't. The more you stand the ground, the more people start getting to understand. You know, there isn't anything to worry about. There isn't anything to be afraid. Maybe it's cool to have something with two cultures around us. Maybe that's a way for us to doubly know something for one person. Have some fun with it. Use the math on your side. You know, remind them about love. Remind them about God. Remind them about biology. But don't let their stupid fear divide who you are. Because you can't be the person you're supposed to be. You can't be the writer that you want to be. If you're literally battling every day with that central question. How the hell do you do anything if that's always going to be on your mind? It's a dangerous thing, I feel. And I've come across plenty of people that have had it. Sometimes they don't even realize they have it. And I, whenever I can, maybe some listening now, and this is a good way to remind them, but I was able to talk to one pretty much face-to-face about it, but I, I told them what my deepest belief was is that, listen, there's a point like anything else that if you let that control you to a point where you start believing it, you don't really have an identity yet. All you have is... The stupid prejudice that some stranger gave you. Who the hell wants to carry that? Don't. And keep in mind, more than anything else, when you've decided that, it's easier to move forward on so many other questions in your life, including your creativity. It it really is. Because you're only strong when you're united in yourself. You're not strong when you're divided. And you're only clear about things when that's been resolved. You'll find that writer's block is less of a problem. You'll find that moments of depression don't come as much. You might even find that you don't have as many migraines. You ever realize that some of those can be associated to that? That your identity crisis, so to speak, could be causing you to have physical ailments? Oh, that's not what my doctor says. Well, guess what? Your doctor doesn't know crap about that because your doctor already figures out who the hell he is. He's a dude with three kids and a, and a wife and a practice still paying his friggin' medical debt. He's got his identity down. He don't have to worry about that. You do. <laughs> so yeah, of course he doesn't understand. You need to start understanding. And I just I've talked to lots of people that have this kind of issue. And they just don't they just don't really realize what it does to drag them down. As people and, and, and as, as artists, there's oftentimes they've picked up vices that they can't seem to get away with because, again, it's another way to, to mask their pain or to, uh, I guess you could say, shield the confusion that they're still facing so no one really notices it. So they're picking up a drug or they're picking up too much damn coffee or, you know, that accelerant stuff that makes your heart race. Or, or just cigarettes, dumb things that you shouldn't even be doing. Such a waste of money and such a waste of, of, of harming yourself over issues that you need to erase the best you can. Because when you continue with these things, they're no longer cute. Okay, they're no longer, um, yeah, I just the way I deal with the world. No, no, no. What you've done is you allowed them to become a poison. And then after a while, that poison takes over and that's all you are. After a while. That's all that someone can call you then. Who's that? Oh, yes, a conflicted biracial person that could be a great writer, but 
you know, they suffer from depression and, and, and lots of other things that they could be getting rid of, but they don't want to solve the question. Yes, you have responsibility in it. No, you can't run away and say, oh, my parents did this. My friends did this. Society hates me. Oh, if the world would be more understanding. Really? Here's the horrible trap, folks. If you don't figure out how to get your identity and move forward with your life to become the creative person you're supposed to be, it won't matter if the world ever understands. Because you've caused so much damage already. Do you know how many gay writers I talk to that say, you know, the world's a lot more gay friendly, but I had so many issues with this thing that now I still got issues psychologically I got to deal with with counseling because of all the crap I put myself through. That's what's going to happen to you. You'll find the world that's going to become more biracial friendly. You'll find a world that's more transgender friendly, but you spent so much damn time hating yourself that you don't know how to stop doing it. So they won't be about the world uh, being your enemy anymore. It'll be about the damn mirror. Who the hell wants to have the mirror as their enemy? But you let these things persist. That's what happens. Then you can't blame me anymore. You can't blame the world anymore or your parents or your religions or Buddha or Jesus or Muhammad or whoever. It'll be about you and the mirror. To me, that's not a way to live. And you can't create anything if you can't live. So part of getting this show in your mind and trying to figure out what your identity is or keeping your identity or maybe even finding ways to improve your identity is well that's less crap you're going to get from the mirror and instead of the mirror talking to you your creative self will be talking to you saying god i've been trying to get to you for a couple years right now but you've been busy with that damn mirror talking about this that and whatever what the hell does that matter let's get on to this this novel let's get on to this show let's get on to this damn poem that's what I want you to do. And some folks, they have a longer road than others. But you do have responsibility in all of this. So you have to take reins of that. Not let the fear, not let the stupid things these people say get in your head. But as I tell you, when you let it in your head, it's not so easy to get out. Don't get me wrong. It's not impossible to get out. You can definitely do so. It's been done plenty and plenty of times before. But just letting them in means that, you know, it's like it's like that unwelcome guest. How do I feel? How do I get this person out of my house here without being rude? Well, guess what? Sometimes you just need to throw their ass out, rude or no rude. They haven't figured out they stayed too long. That might be their problem. Because what the hell? You got to go on your own night and your own life and your own things, you know? I'm serious. Sometimes you got to do that. I had a guy one time, he was over the house for so long. You know, I'm, I'm up to the point where I'm like, you know, I'm getting tired. I'm going to get to bed here. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. My girl's coming over later. I mean, I'm giving the guy every signal possible about, you know, he should move on. And uh, he's on another planet. We haven't even been drinking. Just hanging out and talking. I'm like, you need to go. I got to get going. I got some other stuff to do. Oh, yeah. You know, to the point where I'm like literally at the door. I'm like, dude. I'm still putting it together my life. I'd like you to be a part of that. But you're not all of my life. You're a part of it. That means that there's other parts of your life you need to go fill in with some other people, okay? Because I can't fill all of that. You got that? 
I don't know how else to try to explain somebody. Uh, needless to say, he never came back. I don't know. Maybe my description was rude. Maybe it was too honest. I don't really know. But what I do know is that until you figure out your identity, form that identity, and go forward with that identity, you're not really being honest with the world, with yourself, maybe even with your family. And again, it's always been my philosophy on this show and as a, a creative person that the more honest you can be with yourself, the better you're going to be able to be a writer. The clearer you're going to be able to be. The more creative I believe you can be. The more instructive you can be. It doesn't mean that if you're some kind of rabbit liar, you can't be a creative person. But I do think that in the end, honesty makes the better palette to create something than, than lies. Because you only can go so far with those. Honestly, it's, it's a lot more interesting than lies. It's the reason why so many people avoid honesty more than they avoid lies. Because it is so interesting. But it also can be so much heavy work and heavy weight. And I got that. But it's what's necessary. Now, I've dealt with a number of people over my life that have all kinds of different sexual uh, preferences and, and, and personas and whatever. That's... I can't believe how many under so many circumstances. I remember working with a with a guy um, one time when I worked in the government, and uh, you know, um, he was not out, not out of the closet, but he was obviously gay and uh, could not come out to his parents. Such such pressure, and this is the '90s, so he wasn't exactly in you know a, a world of the 1950s where everybody's trying to hunt him with a gun because he's gay. It's a lot more open in the 90s than it was in the 50s, okay? Uh, I'm not saying it was a perfect uh, gay-friendly world. I'm just saying it, you know, you need to be completely paranoid. Um, but it, that took the best of him. He wound up becoming alcoholic and wound up even going to work drunk, and it's just a complete mess. And uh, to understand what he was going through, well, I can't because I'm not gay and I never had to hide anything like that. But it's not hard to understand somebody suffering. And definitely somebody keeping something that's obviously propelling their horrible habit, which instead of helping them, just makes another problem for him. You know? I mean, what do you do one day? You know, I'm mom and dad, I'm gay, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, two years ago, I was just gay. But now I'm a gay and alcoholic. So, it's not an easy thing to have to be able to handle. Um, we definitely helped him to get him in some kind of a treatment program. And I, I hope things worked out well for him because that's all you could do. You, you, you pray... You know, for the soul of someone like that, because there's somebody like there trapped into uh, a, a world that they didn't want to be in. And I, I don't mean to sound controversial, okay? Because it's not like I had some big conversation about his gayness, okay? But I, I got to realize, just like that person has to realize that, you know, until they come to terms with their own sexuality, that might not be something they even want for themselves because they might feel that. That makes them hate it amongst their parents. So maybe they have parents that already have those kind of opinions. So my God, that got to be an awful thing. Imagine being born gay and you have parents that all they do is raise you telling you that gay people are bad. That's got to be, you probably don't want to be gay either. So I don't know how controversial they might sound. That's got to be just logical on how somebody would think that way. You know, especially if they're very religious, they might have some other ideas about that. Wow. So... We need to have some compassion and, and sympathy. But it's a classic example right there of somebody that, 
you know, collapses on themselves because they haven't figured out identity. When I say this, I don't say this to mock the guy or be judgmental to the guy, but again, it, the same principle applies to that fellow as to anybody else I'm talking to on this show. You know, is it the same one standard? You know, you are responsible to try to figure this out on your own. Or maybe try to find somebody that can help you figure this out. But the choices that you make, you know, they can make things worse or they can make things better. Unfortunately, he, he chose a set of choices that, you know, they, they nearly destroyed him. Hopefully he's changed and that's not the case anymore. He's a happy fellow. And maybe he has to have a life where he doesn't have a family anymore because he has to choose of who he really is and 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 be in love with somebody that he's in love with uh, that maybe uh, is not according to their their liking. But maybe that's the only truth he can have. And, and that's really not such a bad thing in the end for him versus being an alcoholic or being some early fatality. That's ridiculous. So you have to you have to wonder about that. But it's a classic case right there of not having identity under control and making the wrong choices. You know, as many times I told you before that, you know, whatever reason why somebody's in the closet, that reason or others, you know, it has its pros and its cons. Some people can stay in the closet, act a good game and and still live that double life and they don't have the depression. And they might have some version of it, but they don't have that depression that's causing them to drink and want to kill themselves or, or question their entire existence in the universe, you know? And whether what they're doing is any more healthier than what he was doing, I can't tell you. I, I really couldn't, you know, because I'm just not a believer of people going into that sort of situation. But it's not hard to understand from an academic level. And in some ways, you can even understand it from an emotional level. It's a lot to, it's a lot to deal with, sure. And you got your pros and your cons with that. Maybe some people can handle it more than others but in the end if you don't make the choices there'll be choices that come for you that's going to make it for you and they're not going to be the ones that are in your advantage I have yet to meet anyone uh, creative as a transgender person I met a few people in public like I said we had a restroom situation one time I had another time when I was in a in a club about to go into and uh uh, somebody was uh, uh, literally uh, shouting out rude names and, you know, I can't say a racist terminology because it wasn't. I don't know if there's a transgender hate term or something, maybe. I'm not really even sure of the terminology. But whatever they were saying was, was simply unacceptable, I can tell you that. I, I'm not some expert on transgenderism, but I know when somebody's being a, a jerk or not. I can, not hard. I literally tell the person, Really? This individual is giving you so much fear that you got to go talk that crap. You just can't hang out with your friends, go in the club and have a good time. I don't get it. Well, what is your business? I go, well, guess what? I am making it my business. So what are you going to do? Because guess what? I'm just like you. So what problem are you going to have with me now? Let me know. Let's get this done now. Because I don't want to pay my tab and get thrown the hell out of here after I kick your ass. I'd rather just kick your ass here now, save the $20. They settled down. Person came up to me to thank me. And all I could say to the person was, and I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything, but all I could say to the person was is that I'm not even sure how to address you because I don't completely understand. 
And if I'm somebody that doesn't understand who you are and what you're going through and what's going on, and and I'm trying to be a, a decent individual, can you imagine how confused and idiotic these people are? I'm not excusing their behavior, but at the same point, you understand how this can be an issue. I'm not saying you need to walk around with a plasterboard about this is who I am today. I'm identifying as male. Next week I'll be a female when I get through my transition and blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying you need to do that. But I'm do I am understanding that you have to be a little bit more understanding about your environment and, and what you might be facing. You know, and then he pretty much told me he said, I'm identifying as a male right now. You know, um, trying to get used to everything that's going on. I'm not anywhere near surgical stuff yet, but I do uh, I am taking some drugs and you know, I guess they were hormonal drugs or something like that. Um he was wearing a wig, by the way, and lipstick. So because, you know, these days in these clubs right now, it might not even be a transgender person. That could just be somebody doing some punk rock stuff. And I've seen some heavy metal people do things like that. You know, I mean, I mean, they didn't exactly have heels on. But, you know, generally speaking, the hair and the makeup. and But um, that was a conversation I had with that person. I just I was just curious. And I was just curious. I don't know. Maybe I was being a little, little more pushier than I might have been. But I kind of felt like, hey, if I just, you know, save you from getting your ass kicked, you can at least answer a couple of my questions. All right, so I'm not trying to be a hero over here, and I'm not saying I was, but what I am saying is, is that at least the hell I was trying, okay, trying to trying to understand, because there is some understanding that's necessary. You know, it's not like a, you know, they got some transgender course on the internet you could take, and oh yeah, I got everything now. This is when that stage happens, and this is when it doesn't work that way. Everybody has a different experience, which probably makes it really difficult for folks to understand. You know, now I don't mean that that excuses people being jerks and that excuses people being being nasty, rude, or hateful because nothing really excuses that. You know, you could literally do what I did. Now that person got to get upset with me, and I've been like, "All right, be upset, but I'm going to ask the question. Don't give me an answer then. But I'm going to. That's what I asked the person. How the hell do I even address you? Because I didn't know. You know, I didn't know. Am I supposed to say, ma'am? Am I supposed to say, sir? What the hell am I supposed to say? Do I have to wait for you to go in the bathroom? That's going to be the bathroom I use to know anything? Or do I even know anything at that point? Those are the things that, you know, they still need some answers with. And that, those answers might only come on the spot. They might not ever come at all if you don't ask the question. And, and quite frankly, uh, some people believe that maybe you shouldn't ask anything at all unless the person engages you. But that's not how I am. I'm kind of a nosy person. Being a writer, I'm always curious about things. And I like talking to people. I like being a communicative person. So and that's how I learn things, you know. And I'm never going to learn any damn thing if I'm not going to ask any questions. Because it's not like I'm picking up transgender for dummies, you know, on, on Amazon or something. Because I don't even think there's a such book out. All right. So you have to learn as you go. I mean, I, I guess that's all you can do. Now, you know, is it possible that a person like that can help guard themselves more from those kind of encounters? Yeah, I guess they can, but who says that you're supposed to live in a cave until everything's done with? You still have to have a life. You still have a, a right to your freedom and your liberty. Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, you probably have to a little bit of a little tougher skin, and, and maybe like that person did. You know, um, as much he was, I could I could see it on his face. He was like, I can't believe this guy's even asking me these questions. And he wasn't like a, an annoyed face. He was just on the face like, this is the question the guy wants to ask me? <laughs> 
You know, but yeah, sure. Why not? I guess you seem a little surprised by that. I don't know. Maybe you didn't get too many of those kind of questions, but I am because I'm certainly not asking them on a date. So I just want to know what the hell's going on. You know, it's just a good thing to do. But again, identity. Now, there's a person right there that I know it might seem like a strange example, but it's not really a strange example. It's a perfect example of identity. Somebody that has, who knows how long it took, because I didn't have enough conversation to understand how long this person realized that they wanted to be a woman because they were born a man, therefore trapped in a, in a body or in a world or an agenda, whatever you want to call it, that they didn't want to be in, that they didn't feel comfortable with, that ultimately they found uh, oppressive or, or demeaning or or negative, or, or just simply it wasn't where they felt they belonged. Um, so I didn't know. I don't know how long that was, but you know it had to be some kind of a journey. It can't be something easy. And it's a perfect example for the show because, again, imagine if they wanted to be a, a creative person or a writer. Well, what the hell do they do? They're still trying to figure this out. Do they start writing in the voice of a woman in a feminine uh, stance, even though that transition hasn't completely occurred yet? even though they might still be using a men's bathroom, even though they might be going into a club and, and, and dancing with, uh, with men, or maybe even dancing with women. You know, I didn't track this, this fellow, so I don't even know who the hell he was dancing with, to be honest with you. I, I'm assuming, though, I guess you could dance with anybody depending on where you're ultimately going to be in all this, because guess what? Your gender reassignment is actually a separate issue from which ultimately your sexuality can be. So, I know, it's it's definitely uh, the way that could work. So, but yeah, th those th those are a, a classic example there of identities. And you're going to have your people, of course, that are even listening to the show. God, Mark, this is confusing. God, Mark, what the hell? Maybe science has gone too far, this and that. I don't know. I'm always somebody that tells you that science can go too far. But in this situation, I'm not really sure if science is going too far. People have probably have had... This particular, and I'm going to call it a condition because it just works well for the show. I don't mean this in a negative way. But this condition, is, for all we know, it's gone on for thousands of years. And they didn't have no way to do so. Other than possibly, you know, cross-dressing or something like that. Which I've heard for, for centuries has gone on behind closed doors for all kinds of people. Including J. Edgar Hoover. Oops. But nevertheless... Now, maybe something can be done about it. Those people can have the lives that they would want. So maybe science can do that. We've allowed science to help us with diseases so we can have the lives that we want to have. And we allowed science to save our babies so we can raise the children that we want to have. So I don't want to see us trying to deprive people of their happiness through science, which we got from our happiness through science, just because we don't like what they're doing. Or we don't agree with what they're doing. Because I don't know why we need to agree or we need to like. Sometimes you just have to leave things alone. That's it. I mean, because it doesn't make any sense to have, you know, your head in the sand about it. Sure, but it doesn't make any sense that this is really supposed to be your business. Well, Mark, they're right in front of me. Okay. What is that supposed to mean? They're right in front of me. If it's really such a problem, I, no one says you can't walk away. I mean, really, if that's really that much of an issue. But it really shouldn't be. I mean, really. 
I know that's for another world, maybe a more perfect world than the one we live in now, but I'm hoping we eventually get there to where issues of identity won't be so so common as they are. Now, of course, we know we have issues with people with religion, and oftentimes uh, a person's religious upbringing could have really dealt them the wrong way and how they viewed the world, or maybe they had a different view of the world, but the religion that was either forced upon them, fostered upon them, brought to them by their family, however you might want to call that, really didn't jive with, with the kind of person they wanted to be when they grew up. And some people have a problem disconnecting from that and simply adopting something else. I know it sounds cavalier. I'm sure it can't be an easy thing to unwind years of, uh, I don't know if you want to call it uh, education or re-education or indoctrination or orientation. Or, you can call it all kinds of different things. But yeah, it's a lot of unpacking, I'm sure. But again, that's the only way that can get done. We've seen plenty of people in the arts. You know, we've seen musical people that have had certain uh, uh, upbringings that, that, that it, it winds up destroying them. I think um, River Phoenix uh, went into uh, uh, drugs as well as uh, um, the, other, the other Phoenix uh, fellow having all kinds of depression, psychological issues because of some of the ways that the religion that their parents had taught them. Uh, some kind of a, a really um, strange uh, hippie religion that mixed free love and open marriage with 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 uh, with drugs, strange as heck. I'm not sure if they were calling themselves the people of God or something like that. As some kind of a semi cult, you know. But we'll call it religion just for you know practical purposes and how that affected their arts and their lives. You know, we we know uh, people like uh, the singer from Metallica, James Hatfield, uh, growing in a you know a Christian uh, uh, science and, and environment and and how that affected his. You know, uh, depression and alcoholism and how it often even uh, uh, changed the way he viewed the world and the way he wrote and even his connections with other people. Because that's a lot to, to process. You know, and, and the choices we make from these things, again, they're our choices. A, a perfect example would be Salvin Rushdie, somebody I'm internally not happy with because in the end, he takes a, a, a religion, a Islam, and he writes a bigoted book against it. Starts an entire holy war out there where people are getting killed because of his book. You know, and we can always claim that Iran caused all this and they're definitely behind it. But he has responsibility too and he has to live his life, you know, behind closed doors with armed security from the government of England. Ruining his marriage. Literally causing, I think, at least 10 people to die directly because of his book. And still coming out there saying he's not responsible for anything. What we write has an effect, and our identity has an effect. And I don't understand, and, and he's never really explained it. I don't know if maybe he ever can or ever will, you know, how um, he can be, you know, someone who claims to, to be a religious follower and, and still have such bigotry towards another religion to the point of hatred, to, call, to the point of calling their, their holy book, you know, a book of the devil. And then sit there incredulously wondering why the whole world is in flames. Why everybody hates him. Why everybody wants to kill him. I don't say someone wanting to kill him is justified because he wrote the book. Because it's not. 
but it sure damn is justified to piss off a billion people. Uh, I have no problem with that because I can understand how they would be mad. It's it's one thing to say, you know, there's something about your religion that I don't agree with and it's different than mine and, you know, it would share this and this and that. Another thing just to say it's, you know, it's all hogwash and uh, and, and, and your holy person is a fraud and your, and your book is, you know, is, is from the devil and therefore a, a billion people's faith means nothing and haha, I wrote a book about it and because I'm in the Western society and I could just speak my mind, it's okay. Well... There's another example of uh, identity going wrong <laughs> and, and literally harming people, including himself. He altered his own life as well as so many others. And I continued to listen to his interviews and when he was out there and here's a man that has no, no compassion about the subject, no responsibility for it, no accountability at all. That's their fault. I just wrote a book. Please don't become someone like that. I was thinking about having a show about him one day, but I'm like, what the hell was the point? I can't last an hour because, you know, I dislike this guy and his persona and what he has to write and what he has to say so much that it, it can't even last 10 minutes before I'd be disgusted already. It's just not who we ever want to become. I hope that God doesn't win any more awards because I don't know how he, how he deserves anything. Personally, I don't even know how he lives with himself. It's ridiculous. We don't want to become something like that. Like I always say on the show, and part of the reason why is because of Mr. Rushdie, what we write, we have to own. We have to be responsible for. You can't run away. It's no different than your identity because guess what? What you write when you form that identity now starts becoming your identity as well. You can't run away from it. And if you do, you're not really a writer anymore. You're just another coward out there. You may be a talented coward, but that's what you become. And a dangerous one too. Because for some reason you think you're more right than the people that want to kill you. And the truth is if I had my way, I'd take you and the assassin and throw you in the jail and leave you there. Both of you together. You could figure it out. Because we don't really need people like that on the planet. We don't need any more haters. And we don't need any more killers. So if I can round your asses up and throw you someplace, I will. Believe me. Because we, we just don't need that anymore. We don't. I, I'd rather talk to the young girl uh, who's a college uh, English major in Iowa. No. She doesn't know a whole lot about culture other than growing up on the farm. And, and no. She doesn't have a damn idea about uh, what a black culture is or Hispanic culture is or what the hell they're doing over in Japan. But guess what? At the moment, she doesn't need to know. All she needs to know is who she is, who she wants to be, and how, in her own honest fashion, she could start understanding the world and incorporating that to be a wonderful writer. That's it. We don't need to throw anything on her, and she doesn't need to seek anything more unless she chooses to do so. I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think that, you know, Mark, the only way I can really be around somebody and trust them is if somehow I could fill their head and soul with all the knowledge I have about different cultures and religions and everything. If they could just know all that stuff, then I think they could be trustworthy because then they'll have a full education. Really? 
a person just can't not be a bigot and not understand anything about your culture. They just can't be a decent person that, that will befriend you and not judge you that way. They have to be an expert on Malcolm X to understand anything. It's, it's, it's kind of silly. And me, in a strange way, it's, it's a, its own form of prejudice. People are who they are. And oftentimes, because of the choices they've made. And guess what? If they make choices that are not bigoted, they're not going to be bigots. No, they might not understand a damn thing about Japanese haiku or, or how the samurai took a poop in the forest. Okay? Or, or how Malcolm X was probably the first black Republican. I'm just joking, though, because I think it was actually uh, Frederick Douglass that was the first black Republican. But you see my point. They don't really have a need to know that. That may be something you think they need to maybe make yourself feel more secure or more better. But then you have to wonder about, I don't know, their problem with your identity then? Because if they're comfortable with theirs, maybe you need to be working on yours. We all have to at times. If anyone knows anything about being in a relationship with anybody, whether it's a, you know, a, a casual one as a dating thing or a, a, a long-term one, without marriage or later maybe one with marriage maybe it's one with the same gender maybe it's one with adopted children maybe it's just one in in, in a different fashion no matter what it is it, it requires regular maintenance it's like a car you know it's so cool when it's new out of that lot hell it might even be pretty good for the first six months but guess what after a while you're gonna need some some oil Maybe you need to look at them tires and try to rotate them a little bit. Again, check under the hood, make sure we're okay. It's going to need some routine maintenance if you want it to keep to that level, if you want it to keep to that, to that freshness, to that efficiency, to that what I call reliability in the end. Because like anything else, to me, without trying to sound corny, you know, a, a, a good woman is like a, a good car. The only way you can judge them is if uh, they're going to be reliable. I think women sometimes should look at men that way too. At least it kind of gives us a chance to grow and to become somebody better. Can we at least be reliable? Well, that's how I always look at a woman. Just like a car. Is it going to be reliable? Because in the end of the day, that's what you want. In the end of the day, somebody that's reliable. Meaning that you can rely on their fidelity. And you can rely on their love. You can rely on their point of view. You can rely on their worldview. You might even be able to rely on, on what convictions they might have. They say that you need all this spontaneity, but I, I honestly think that spontaneity is, is a bit over overdone because when I come home, I don't want spontaneity. I, I want to be able to rely on what I left this morning is still there. And, you know, the UPS man didn't come in between where I was gone at work. Okay, or the person didn't suddenly switch over to some some crazy form of belief that I that I can't really you know find compatible with my own life. We want a certain, I guess you could say, safeness or continuity or consistency. We we really need that because that's where stability comes from. So I never know what they meant by that whole spontaneity thing, and to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I I, I think I uh, really. Spontaneity is for people that, you know, don't want to be able to handle stability or something. I'll just come up with a new idea. 
I don't know what the hell's wrong yesterday's idea. If it worked before, why can't it work again? You know? Hey, babe, I love you. Here's a kiss. Let's put these kids to bed. Let's go check out a show. Tell me how the hell your day went. I don't know what the hell's wrong with saying that every night. I really don't. Does this mean that you might have some some nights or some days or whatever that maybe the um, the sequence of those events have to change a bit? Hell yeah, sure. I'm a man, you're a woman, I got it. But in the end, I think we look for that because that is also part of our identity, that we have a certain routine that we sort of maintain, that we, we feel comfortable in, that we, we can uh, not only respect and, and, and cherish, but also that we can use as a leap forward, that that springboard into what we want to do creatively. I know many people that will tell me, because I've had to face that too, where illness could throw them off track from you know being creative. I had someone tell me, hey Mark, you know, I'm still working on a couple marital problems, so I got put off on the, on the novel for a while. I got that. Makes sense. Okay. You know, or, um, Mark, we've had a, um, we've had a real health, health issue with, with my grandfather, and uh, I'm now, at least for the short period of time, having to try to take care of him until we can find some sort of room for him at, a, a, at some kind of, a, what do they call them, a skilled nursing facilities. That's it. Uh, and who knows how long it's going to take to have it opening because, you know, sometimes those places, they have long waiting lists, especially if they're, you know, good places that are also affordable, you know. So uh, that's going to take some time away from this. And I, I need to commit myself to that because that's, you know, that's a responsibility at the moment. There you go. So more than ever before, the identities that we've learned to create, we learn to rely on. And when we learn to rely on them, well, guess what? That's just less clutter in our lives to be able to work creatively on things. Because you're not sitting there wondering about, who am I? Am I a male or a female? Who am I? Am I black or white? Who am I? Am I a muzzly hating person who's pretending to be a Hindu? Or am I a Hindu person that pretends to hate Muslims? Who the hell am I? And how does that affect your creativity? Well, it can affect it by shutting it down, as we've seen. It can affect it by you want to become some kind of literary bigot. And blind yourself to your own great writing. Which sadly to say, uh, that book wasn't really a piece of great writing. Some of the stuff before it was. Maybe even some of the stuff afterwards. But it, actually kind of sloppy. But what do you expect when you're just trying to get a message out. Rather than telling a real compelling story. And what's your message? I hate everybody. Well, thanks. That's, that's really a, a useful and a unique message. Now, one of the last things of this show, and one of the last things to talk about, really, because this is uh, more and more of an issue, is those that deal with disabilities and those that deal with mental illness. Sometimes those could be both, okay? So um, I'm trying not to cross them over too much. We'll try to keep them as separate as I can with the understanding that sometimes they're going to intersect. And that's not my fault. That's sometimes just the way things are. Not everybody can feed fit themselves into some neat category. And that's one of the things we got to try to remember about identity. It's not really about you saying, before, Mark, I was in the dark and confused, but now that I'm in this category of, um, um, I'm a gay uh, uh, Bolivian uh, basket weaver who likes space exploration, I'm good now. 
So uh, I'm not really saying that you need to get yourself from the darkness and then throw yourself into some kind of uh, literary ghetto or something or, or some kind of psychological room. Uh, no one's saying that and no one says you have to do that. Identity can still be a bit fluid, but it still has some grounding and it has some reason and it has at least a plan. You know, I mean, a perfect example is a transgender person. Until they get to that stage, it is fluid for them, but it's still a process and it's still something they're going through. I think for a lot of people also, too, you know, you could be fluid. I mean, you think about it. If you're biracial, I mean, in many instances, if you're claiming I'm both, well, guess what? You're going to have some instances where you're going to have to be fluid because you could be in a circumstance where that other person might only relate to that other part of you that they relate to. They're not, not trying to be mean. They're not trying to be bigot. They're just being honest. Listen, I don't know anything about no Asian anything, okay? But I know about being black. Maybe that's the part that they identify with you with, and that allows you to have communication with them and maybe even a relationship. It doesn't mean that they hate anything. It just means that at first it's not a connection for them. Maybe later on that's something they understand, and that's great, and you have to help with that process. Maybe sometimes it's something they just don't want to understand. They just want to be who they are, and that's that. And then you have to make a decision about that, how important that is. So even then, identity can still be fluid, but still be, I know it sounds strange to be silent and fluid at the same time, but metaphorically speaking, yeah, you could be both. It could be what I guess you can call a situational thing, and, that, and that's fine. Now, with disability, it could be, and for many people, you know, an endless journey, you know, of pain and inconvenience. It's really how the person approaches it. Uh, if you know anything about anybody that was once whole, because that's really the best way to put this, um, and then not, meaning they might have lost an eye or hearing or vision or speaking ability or an arm or leg or something like that. Um, that could be so traumatic that, you know, it could put them into a situation where they're not sure how they fit in the world or if they even should fit in the world. And the depression and all that comes with that is real. It's not just some Hollywood self-loathing. You know, it's just not some stereotypical, I want to kill myself because I don't have an arm anymore. It's it's something that's, that's genuine because uh, in many instances, when you're seeing an entire world around you that has all the things that you used to have. And I don't care whether it was, you know, uh, um, I used to be rich and now I'm poor. I used to have an arm. Now I don't have an arm. It's really the same thing in your mind, psychologically. Well, that's got to be, you know, in, in many instances, a, a, a compounding negative event. How do you deal with something like that? I know they have therapy for people. They have all kinds of rehabilitation to help a person get back to that. But in the end, it's really about how that person finds their way back into the world that can help them find their way back into creativity. Because, quite frankly, them finding back their way in the world could be even more important. It might be the first thing they have to do. Although I've known a few people that confessed to me that, you know, they went right into the creativity even though they haven't got those other issues resolved yet. They were still working on it. And they just kind of felt at least... It was their own form of self-therapy, and at least it was a way for them to uh, find some kind of way to push forward, to try to do something that they felt they did before again. 
and, and uh, God knows there's nothing wrong with that because we really can't be in the position to say, no, you should try this versus that. I would just think in my own logical mind, of course, as somebody who hasn't lost any of that, you either want to work more on the, you know, connecting to the world before you connect to the art thing. I would think that would be the higher precedence. Well, it might not always be the case. And I know from real examples, it wasn't the case. And they went about it in a different way. Maybe that worked best for them. Great. I don't say I know exactly the precedence that's necessary. But I do know that ultimately it is necessary. Because you can't live that way and not feel that you've uh, re-entered the world in a way that you, you now have some confidence. And you now have some direction. And you now have a way to feel that uh, you belong again. Even though it's easy for me to say from the outside, what the heck are you talking about? You've always belonged. But then that would be me being ignorant because what I feel in terms of them belonging, it's not going to be the same what they feel. That's why, and you're going to hear this from people sometimes. And you might even hear it from models and people just laugh. They're just trying to be coy. They're trying to be cute. But no, I, I, I've, dealt, I've dealt with a few women a few times that I thought they were extraordinarily beautiful, and no matter what I did to talk to them, no matter what I did to be a gentleman, no matter what I did to be gracious and sensitive and loving and caring, it didn't matter in the end. They wanted to get treated poorly because they felt they were not worthy of the attention. They actually felt that they were ugly, even though all I was seeing was physical beauty. No matter what I did, it had no, it had no impression on them, it had no had no say. And I wasn't going to go around treating someone poorly. I'm just not that kind of person. Not because I'm some kind of perfect guy over here. Not because I have some great high moral standard about anything, including women. Just because that's not who I am, period. I'm just not that person. So I can't do it. That's it. I don't know, I don't know how I'll explain to you. I'm not going to do that. I, But I will be uh, the person that's going to say, listen, I can't continue this because... I'm talking to the wall. I can't talk to the wall. I can't date a wall. God knows I'm not going to kiss the wall or anything else. So I don't see the point in this. You might need to get some help because if you can't see that you're talented and that you're interesting and that you're educated and you're smart and you're beautiful, I don't know what the hell I can do to convince you otherwise because I can't. You can't. People like that, they... uh. You know, they wind up ruining their many relationships and sometimes even their lives. You know, sometimes it's not till years later when they've lost the glow of beauty and, and that power that they might have had over men that they suddenly realize, oh yeah, I'm worth something now. I don't get it. I don't know. Maybe it's something they can find out in therapy, but that's what's necessary. It's another version of a disability, one of an emotional one. But definitely it's there. And of course, it definitely tells you about an identity. Here's a person that they don't even believe in the identity the world's telling them. It's a reverse of what you normally see. I don't like your identity. And people are like, oh, no, this is a reverse. No, I love your identity. And what the hell are you talking about? I don't trust you because you love my identity. I only trust people who say I'm ugly and treat me poor. It makes no sense. It's a lot of work, isn't it? Yeah, that's why identity is so much important in so many different things. I remember hearing one time, and I, I, I actually was able to talk to a couple of years later, somebody that was deaf, 
And I remember when the the cochlear implants came out, uh, implants came out, and then of more advanced hearing aids now, uh, where the the deaf community got extremely upset. They were like, "Oh, this is going to ruin our way of life, and all oh, this is going to be this, and this is going to be that." People were actually writing to boycott the companies, trying to actually people to, to put laws to stop this and blah, blah, blah. Again, I'm not deaf, but I know somebody that was deaf, and that, that would have been my mom in one year. And I remember her having to line, learn sign language until that she was able to get a hearing aid that we can actually pay for it that, that would work enough for her to, to help her because, you know, she had to live a, a little bit of a lie at the work at the nurse by pretending the things, right? Reading lips and other things like that because the other ear can only catch so much. She just lost it one day. She got a, a fever from being ill. And next thing you know, she lost uh, most of her hearing. And um, I remember years later talking to her before, you know, she... Uh, slipped into dementia and, and just became somebody else. Um, I remember her laughing, saying, cry, I would, I, would, I would love to have had that stuff. I mean, it would have been great. Oh, wow. I don't know what these people are talking about. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you want to be deaf? You know, and I explained to her, I said, listen, they have a formed identity of deafness. And in that identity... They had formed the language. They had formed the, almost like in the deaf culture. They had like deaf shows and deaf musical things. And I mean, really all kinds of deaf stuff. Literally an entire culture around that. Now you're telling, now you're telling them that might have to end on people who are relying on that for their security and, and for their well-being and, and just for their own way to enter in the world. That could end because somebody scientifically came up with a way to maybe you don't have to be deaf anymore. You know, and... Uh, my mother's like, I don't, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. I, I, I would think that in many ways you're not being successful because you haven't really contacted the rest of the world. You're just throwing around people that were deaf like you. How's that really a success? My mother, for a woman, was always extremely logical, which I always found curious because my father, he always seemed to be more emotional. <laughs> uh, but... um. And I understand her point because I don't really think she was trying to be insensitive. My mother was more medical than she would have been than motherly in many instances, believe it or not. I remember learning the birds and the bees from her just on a medical basis. I'm like, really, Mom? We got to say these words? Yes, you do. I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> I said the dirty words sound better than the words you're saying. <laughs> but um, she had a good point in the sense that yeah, you've built the whole culture around that and now that could be possibly gone. But the other bad point is no one says that you can't do something like that. Who says that you have to go and use the cure or the machine or whatever that, to help improve it or cure it? Maybe you just keep living that way because that's what you like and you're comfortable with that. Maybe that's the world that you want. Who says you can't have that world? No one says that it has to be taken away because again, in the end, that's still your choice now. You might not have had a choice on losing your hearing, but you damn sure have a choice now if you wanted to have it returned or not. That might be in your cards if you want to. We need to lead people to do that and not push them into, I need you to do this because you'll be more normal. <laughs> that's what I think a lot of the thinking is behind that, and I know that's what they worry about. And people just didn't think they were normal anyway, so they can't wait to make them normal somehow. That I can understand, psychologically and emotionally. 
It's not hard to understand why someone would resist something like that. Really, I really don't have a problem with that because it falls in line with my feelings about identity. If that's the identity that you decided to create and you feel that's the best for you, then great. If it brings you the love and the joy and the, and the peace, you know, and the, and the prosperity, or even just the purpose in life, nobody, nobody should take that away. Maybe you should even take that away yourself because you don't know what you're going to get in that other world that you haven't really spent too much time in, really. So it, it's, it's a fair way of looking at things. And definitely in in the in the hands, and in, in the hearts of, of those that, that are deaf. And I'm not sure that there's going to be some people that might feel that way on other ailments. You never know. I've known some people that have lost limbs that they didn't want the artificial limb. They just didn't think it made sense to them. They rather just live without it and go about their business. They didn't think that that really added anything to their lives. They just had. If not aesthetic, maybe even sometimes, you know, ethical and moral objections to having some kind of mechanical thing attached to the body. No one says that their reaction is is unusual. I don't think it is unusual. Because you have a right to have a control of your body. And if your identity now has changed the world that I'm just living now without the arm. Now I got to go back to freaking living with an arm that's artificial. Explain this, say that, do that, da, 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 da. I don't know if I want to do that. It's, it's a completely, to me, a rational, if not a valid uh, objection. It's, it's a, lot of, a lot of work. For, for what? You don't even know what you're going to get out of it. Is it going to make a difference? You know? I don't know. I, I know uh, somebody... I didn't know this person personally. I read a story about them. But um, they had said that they had that objection up until the point when they got married. And then they said, you know, I I want to dance with her and I want to have the other arm, even if it was artificial. Even if it's the only time we ever dance in our marriage or in our lives. That one time, I want to do that. And I want it to be looking as normal as possible with a, with a suit on over it and I want I want a picture taken like everybody else. I'm not saying that I'm ashamed of not having an arm. I lost it for the service of my country. You know, God bless you, sir. And um who's to say this guy's wrong? This is what he needed to do for his identity at that moment and that's what he did. He went to the VA to help him outfit one, helped him to train with it, to use it to his best of his ability. That's what he did. He did that. He was so happy. He took his pictures. And I think a week later, he drove back to the VA. Here you go. Maybe somebody else can use this. Thank you very much. Have a good day. And he went about his business to the rest of his life with the one arm. But there's a man that knows what his identity is and what he wants. And and how, you know, at a time he can make an alteration and go back to it later. Because again... It's all from the, the confidence of how he's fitting in the world and, and the choices that he's making. We can do this creatively as well. So please keep all of these things in mind as we, as we move forward. Don't let childhood trauma become some poison when you become an adult. Okay? If you have to write through it, write through it. Get it done. I remember telling somebody, and I don't want this to sound mean because it's not, but I'll be honest with what I said. I said, Hey man, wasn't that like 36 years ago? I mean, 
I mean, the people you're talking about, they're not even alive anymore. The situations don't even exist anymore. You don't even live in that town anymore. When can you give yourself a break? When can you put an end to this suffering? When can you move forward and be who you should be? That's what I told that person because it got to the point where it's like enough of hearing this sort of stuff. I mean, you're not helping yourself. You're not helping anybody else. Guess what? You thought by sharing this with me, you're going to help me understand you. You might have been successful, but my understanding is not what you thought it was. I'm not understanding you because I'm going to feel sorry now. No, I'm going to say you need to get over this. And if that means writing therapy, formal therapy, drug therapy, I don't know, spiritual therapy, going into the swimming pool and swimming at the hell off therapy, whatever you want to call it, that's what you need to do because it's no longer some point of pride. It's no longer some anger catalyst that's supposed to propel you. It's, it becomes a weight on your shoulders. It becomes a poison in your soul. And you just don't ever get to be who you want to be. And those people, you know, God, I don't know what he wants to do with those people, but those people, they get the win as long as you carry that. And the minute you discard that and get to who you're supposed to be, then you get the win. I don't know if they get to lose, but at least you get the win because that's all I care about. I don't care if they win or lose or not. I care about if you win or lose or not. And I'm telling you, you don't get the win by carrying all these things. I'm biracial this. I got a religious problem that. I remember uh, people making fun of me because I had a club foot or I had a weird birthmark on my forehead. Come on, folks, huh? We got treatments out there. We got medications. We got our love and respect that gets people to see past all kinds of things. Why can't that be done for you? Why can't you do that for yourself? Talk to people. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with those around you. If you can, maybe you have to get some other people you could be honest with. But that's how it starts. That's how you find your identity that's how you shape your identity. And that's an end how you continue to work on your identity going forward. Because the sooner you do this, well, guess what? The sooner you become a happier person. Does it mean you become a happy person? I don't think anybody has a formula for being happy all the time. But I damn sure know that beating yourself up, questioning your own life, wondering Am I this or am I that? That's not happiness. Okay? It's not. When you go to the fast food restaurant and you have a couple questions about the menu, that's all the damn questions you should have in your life. <laughs> Everything else doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Questioning your, your identity and your existence and all this sort of stuff? No. You should already know this or figure it out. Find it out. This way you can start writing and you can then you can start wondering about the world and the cosmos out there because it's waiting for you to come over. Believe me. But when you come, you better come with your A game. You better come with an identity. You better come with some measure of confidence. You better come with more than just a dream 
And you definitely better become more than just a backstory. What have you got? Well, I got a backstory. My parents didn't like me, and my mother ran out, and uh, my church kicked me out to the curb, and uh, somebody stole my money, and I have like five different cultures in me, and I'm sort of confused, and guess what? We have heard all of that already from countless people. Countless people that they're not going to get anywhere until they settle those issues. So you need to start settling those issues. It'll make you a happier person. It'll make you a better writer. It'll definitely make you a more honest, creative artist when you go forward out there. Because you're going to be able to have some answers to some of these things. When you go forward, you might actually even be able to help other people as you go along in your path that might have some of the same situations and you'll have something to say for them. You get yourself together, you'll be able to help other people get themselves together because that's what you owe them as much as that, in a way, they owe you. When writers help each other, the world of writing is, is that much better. And that's what I try to do with this show as much as I can, as much as possible. Even though I know some of these subjects, they're pretty damn difficult at times. And, and they definitely can be appearing to be at least complex. But I find that so many of them, particularly identity, it's central to who we are as artists. I mean, if you think about it, I always find it unusual and I'm not trying to call anybody out and don't ask you to run over to your bio and change it. But I've had private conversations with people that they say something entirely different than what the bio says. Believe it or not, as much as I'm telling you about this show and as many as conversations I've had with people, I have yet to try to call somebody out on that. And I don't mean call them out in some big, horrible, nasty way. I'm just in terms of a question. Hey, I thought you just said you were biracial, but... You didn't mention that in the bio, but you're saying it's an issue. I haven't. Maybe one day I might. Not because I want to start an argument, just because, like anything else, I get curious. Because, again, we need to be who we're supposed to be. Not only with ourselves in privacy, or in the bathroom with the mirror, or in the world, but even with our writing, too. We should be able to reflect on our bio exactly who we are. And maybe... That's just another example, another bit of proof that we still haven't resolved certain things. And we, we should. I'm not claiming that you need to, to say that, you know, you're biracial. But I've seen some people do that already, you know. Hey, this is Jimmy and uh, I'm, a, um, I'm a biracial mix of uh, Korean and Colombian. And uh, I, I tried to use the, the influences of both of these cultures in, in my upbringing in order to help inform my worldview and, and maybe even my writing. Not a bad bio, not a bad way of looking at the world, not a bad way of going about things. If that's how you feel you can do it, and if that's how you can do it, well, that's great. Because I think that that combination, like any other combination, well, that's going to give us so much variety, and it's going to give us so much variation. It's going to give us so much, and I don't mean the diversity word in, in the political sense, because they practically ruined it. I mean the diversity of... All the different things we could see that we never would have seen before if these things wasn't combined in such a way, in such an interesting, hybrid, creative way. That's what the beautiful things that comes out of that. If you could see the beauty of what can come out of that, it makes it that much easier to resolve the conflict. 
you know, and go forward. All right, folks, until next time, I wish you well. I know these are unusual times that we still live in and so many things that are still coming up for us that we do have to make a decision on. But until then, I wish you well. God bless until our next episode. Good night. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.